Coming live from York, Pennsylvania, USA is our guest today evening. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And before I move forward, may I request you to subscribe, follow, like, and comment on whichever platform you are watching or listening to this show on. And today we have John Verico, motivational speaker, trainer, and humorist. And he'll be talking about to us on how to use humor for confidence building and getting through adversity. Welcome to the show, John. Well, good morning, KJ. And I know it's uh, afternoon for you. It's, you know, this is a wonderful opportunity. I love how, you know, the world has gotten so much smaller that no matter where we are on the planet, we get to connect. Yes, yes. And in fact, uh, you know, when the, when you live in a global world, you can change a lot of things. Like last time, it was Friday the 13th. And it, uh, it was, we could not work out. The in interview could not happen uh, because of whatever reasons. Maybe not because of Friday the 13th. It was incidentally that. But today is a good day, finally. And we are here together. So uh, to start with your, you know, story itself, how to use humor, because uh, nothing better than knowing through your story itself. Share us your story, John, and we'll start getting the meaning of how exactly one can use humor for confidence building and getting through adversity in life. Oh, uh, absolutely. And, and thank you again, KJ. You know, I was uh, a very small kid. I was undersized. I was, uh, you know, using our, our measurement system, and I don't know the metric conversion, but uh, I was only five foot, three inches tall and weighed less than 110 pounds when I graduated high school at the age of 18. So I was the small kid in school. So I was picked on by bullies a lot. Um, and it was it was bizarre because I loved to make people laugh. But of course, I didn't want to be laughed at. I wanted to be laughed with. Absolutely. So I was yes, I was an extrovert that was forced to be in an introvert's body because if I brought attention to myself, I got beat up by the bullies. So I tried to fit in any possible way I could. Um, I wasn't quite smart enough to be with the nerdy kids. I wasn't, uh, I was a lousy athlete, so I, I couldn't be a jock. I didn't play any instruments. I did play the guitar, but but not well enough to be in the school band. And I was, I didn't want to kind of get out there too much and and showcase myself and draw too much attention to myself. So I didn't do the theater thing either. So it was like, where is this kid? Where is this weird little kid fit in? But I tried and tried, and I said, you know, I'm gonna. I I, I was too short for basketball, certainly too small for football, and I finally decided I'm going to try of all things, wrestling. So here's this scrawny little skinny <laughs> kid, you know, going out for the wrestling team. And, and the coach basically just laughed at me and he goes, look, you know, uh, toothpick kid, you need to go into the gym and you need to work out. I need you pumping iron in there every single day. And so, so I'd walk into the, into the weight room and there's all the gorillas in the room, right? <laughs> All, all these big guys, these big muscular kids, right? The ones who would beat me up all the time. And I'm supposed to go in there and, and, and associate with them and, and share, you know, the dumbbells and stuff. Well, uh, 
what am I? I'm going to go over and go, excuse me, it's my turn. Can I borrow that just for a little bit? Just take the weights off. Just give me the bar because that's all I can lift. I mean, there was no way that was going to happen. So I squeezed over to the to the far corner of the room where no one else was. And I used the only piece of equipment that nobody else was paying attention to. And I sat there on the leg press. And so here's this skinny little kid sitting on the leg press over in the corner of the weight room while all the rest of the people are working on their upper body. And I'm sitting there in the back going, eh, 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 on the foot, on the, uh, on the, uh, the leg press. Well, sitting there for my hour every day, my legs got huge. I built up these massive muscular legs. My legs looked like Popeye, but my upper body still looked like olive oil. You know, that, that skinny, like a concave chest and toothpick-type arms. I That really helped with the girls, I tell you, because I looked like somebody Frankenstein together, two different people. <laughs> so that added to the whole freak factor. But there was just a little bit of benefit out of that. Because when I actually wrestled, I didn't have the upper body strength to actually pin somebody and hold them down, right? I couldn't do that. But my legs were so strong that I could kick out from underneath anybody. So I became unpinnable. And I was known as the Mighty Mosquito. It was, you know, got this, this great little moniker. It was like, you know, the professional wrestling name, Mighty Mosquito. And it was mostly because I was small. I sucked. And I mostly got swatted. You know, it's like I lost most of my matches, but I was never pinned. And so just that at least I had something that I could ride. And I found within me kind of that that little thrill for being able to uh, to not be pinned, even though I lost matches by points. I even won a couple of matches by points, but I was never pinned. And that was my my claim to fame. And so that's how I started to kind of find a little bit more confidence in myself. By being the unpinnable mighty mosquito. That that was a great thing. Means you found confidence in yourself and then you went on to become a disco dance instructor. Tell us about that. And then <laughs> as a broadcast journalist in the Navy and now a motivational uh, speaker. You know, how, how a lousy, so-called lousy athlete. I, I wouldn't call it myself. But uh, as you have portrayed it, that's not absolutely true because you had a lot of confidence and self-belief and the mighty mosquito went and went on to become a disco dance instructor tell us about that journey uh, you know so that was kind of crazy this is you know we're talking the 70s and and this is when disco was was the big thing and i was still struggling for for identity and i'm watching all of these all the other guys are getting all the girls because they could dance and I was just determined. I said, I've got to learn how to dance. And so I would spend hours watching American Bandstand and uh, Soul Train and all of those kind of shows. And I would watch all these cool dance moves. And I would practice with a broomstick or a hat rack or, <laughs> or a chair. And, uh, and I would go. And I, when we would go to the nightclubs, and this is, of course, you know, after, after high school. Uh, we would go to the nightclubs. I hung out with really good looking guys because the girls would be attracted to them. Right. And so, so then there was always like the extra girl 
And so I would, you know, we would kind of just look at each other and go, you want to try to dance? You know, we just like, so finally, you know, they would agree, okay, fine. You know, you're the only guy left. I might as well dance with you. <laughs> and so, uh, so I'd get out there and then I could finally bust out my moves and people would go, Ooh, that was cool. Do that again. And all of a sudden I'm, you know, now people are gathering around and they're not laughing at me. They're kind of interested in what I'm doing. And so I found myself, rather than trying to show off and get the glory for myself, I found myself teaching these moves to other people and okay. showing them how to do it. And I realized that actually helping them was what was rewarding to me. Uh, but yeah, it was it was it was kind of a bizarre thing to go, you know, from one extreme to the other. And so there I am, the you know, the original John Revolting, uh, out there on the disco dance floor, uh, you know, trying all these fancy moves. And I was actually helping people prepare for competitions. And so I was actually teaching competitive disco. And it was right. it was a lot of fun. Right, John. You you make it sound very simple, but you know, to working hard at the gym to wrestle with so many people and then even getting a title for you, you know, the mighty mosquito, it can, it can, you know, it all needs uh, a lot of confidence for you to see the way you want to see things. Anybody would not see it as positively as you saw it internally. You must have felt, you know, sometimes a bit different when you were uh, all alone, but then you took it all in your stride, then got so much of confidence uh, and became a dance instructor. Then you went as a broadcast journalist in the Navy and what, and now a motivational speaker. How did this motivational speaker uh, thing come about? And when did you realize that, you know, you can use this whole uh, life story of yours, the experiences that you have been through, and, you know, you may call it a varied sort of an experience from one extreme to another. I would not look at it that way. I myself have seen a lot of variations in my own career. And here I am, we are talking together on the same platform. So uh, to ask you, how did you realize that you've got something to share with people? Obviously, you realize something when you are teaching dance moves to other people. But when was the time when you thought it was your time to carry the torch? Tell us about the torch. Okay, so all of this, uh, it, it was a crazy, you know, time of life, right? I was, I was doing the disco dance uh, thing. I also, you know, was going to college. I tried to do the more, uh, more traditional thing and study electro electrical engineering. Uh, and I actually was an electronics technician for a while. Uh, and I, but I just couldn't hold a day job <laughs> because my body, my biorhythm was getting into the whole nightlife, do it with the disco dance instructor. So I did bartending for a while and, and I was a roadie with a band. I tried like everything. I was a short order cook in a restaurant, you know, that kind of, we, 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 we experiment with ourselves as we're growing up. Right. And we, we learn new, new, new things and, and it all becomes part of our whole life story. And I really was kind of all over the place. And I, got to a point where I said, I, I can't get up in the morning. My body wants to, you know, I'm, I'm used to coming in when most same people year, are getting same up. Same year, John. Same year. Same year. Uh, I cannot. Not a morning person. But so I said, I need to get some discipline in my life so I can hold a day job. I had gone back to school for journalism. I became a, a freelance journalist, but I couldn't get hired 
by the newspapers because they couldn't count on me to show up on time. Okay, I need some discipline in my life. Where do you get discipline? In the military. I'm like, wow, what kind of insanity is this? And so I looked at the different services, and the last thing I wanted to do was go pounding through the mud somewhere. You know, so the Army and Marine Corps were completely right out of it. Um, I have a fear of heights, so Air Force was out of it. But I looked at the Navy and I was like, okay, I could swim. So let's do that. <laughs> so I looked at the Navy's program and the Navy had a program called Navy Journalist. And I, I said, well, that sounds cool. I'm, I like writing. I've been doing freelance journalism for a while. Let me do that. And so I joined the Navy as a, as a Navy Journalist. This is back in 1981. And uh, interesting thing about being a, being a journalist in the Navy, you're not just doing the, the traditional journalist stuff. I was, yeah, sure. I ran two TV stations and two radio stations. I did an evening newscast. This is all on board my ship. I was doing a newspaper. I was doing a newsletter that would go home to the families. I did all the press releases, handled all the media queries, was the speechwriter for the commanding officer. When the ship pulled into port, I became tour guide and do the community relations events. It was every aspect of the public communication world fell into my lap in that kind of a position. And a lot of what I was doing was helping to tell our story, which in most parts was helping people tell their stories. Right. And the light started to go on. So most of my time was spent preparing our subject matter experts or preparing the commanding officer to do an interview with the media, preparing people to, uh, do public speaking to tell their story about their job in the Navy. And all of that, all of those little pieces kind of built up. I was like, what I'm really enjoying more than anything else is helping others tell their story and helping others become successful. And so as this, this continued to evolve over the next uh, several years, uh, many years. <laughs> I've been 40 years in the communications industry now, which is just, you know, it makes me feel, it's insane for me to feel that way because I'm, I'm nowhere near that old. But, uh, you know, all of a sudden now I, I find that my enjoyment, my personal reward is helping someone else achieve success and helping someone else to, uh, to find their inner motivation and that motivational torch which is where you were what you were alluding to is exactly where i kind of found my foundation for me the torch is what keeps that fire burning inside of us right it's it's that inner motivational passion that we have and torch is an acronym for all the things that we need in order to be able to do that and that acronym is for trust opportunity respect, communication, and humanity. And when we have those things, when we are trusted, we're given opportunity, when we're respected as an individual, when we are uh, communicated with openly and honestly, and when we are treated like a fellow human being, we thrive. And if we then take that same, that same torchlight from ourself and we learn to share that torchlight with other people, and wow. help them to get their fire to burn. That's where that's where it all comes to play. How did you do that? <laughs> that, my friend, is my cheesy dad magic that I use <laughs> when I 
when I try to, when I, when I give my, my talks and my coaching, uh, when I go out and work with, with groups, I, I try to do all sorts of things to try to keep people engaged and interested. So yeah, you know, popping, popping a little fire out of the sky is, is, you know, it's fun, a fun little thing, but, uh, it helps to illuminate the point that I'm trying to make. And so, so that's the, that's how I kind of evolved to where I am. And so as I evolved through a 40 year career in communication, primarily working in government agencies, helping them to learn to tell their story, helping them to succeed, helping them to grow and to communicate and training those people. It was that aspect that helped me evolve to become a motivational speaker and principally a leadership and communication trainer and coach. Right. And, and you are now a torchbearer. I am a torchbearer. I bring the light of, of truth and illumination to people, uh, help them to see in the dark, in the darkness of their souls, you know, what, where the light is and help them help pull them out of adverse situations. And a lot of it is, you know, if you go to uh, a funeral and hopefully, you know, hopefully there's, they're always minimal in our lives. Uh, what really happens when people get together to celebrate the life of, of a lost loved one? They start telling stories and they start telling the stories that made them laugh. Do you remember when he did this? Do you remember when she said Absolutely. that? Do you remember? Those are, th that helps us heal. And it's not just the, the stories about what they did. It's the funny stories. It's those opportunities to laugh and that's what brings us back together. We had gone to a funeral uh, of a dear friend uh, a couple of years ago. And I had in my car, I, I had a decoration that was left over from Halloween. And it was a, a decal of a skeleton riding in the back seat. So it looked like there was a skeleton. It was, you know, we put it on the window. And I never thought about it. I just kind of left it there because I got such great, you know, uh, uh, reactions from it when i was parking the car in the parking lot you know, no matter what time of year i just left this stupid <laughs> halloween decoration in the car so people would look and they point and they'd laugh and i'd say yeah that's my carpool uh carpool lane uh, authorization right my extra rider but um we had gone to this funeral and we didn't realize that we were actually going to drive the in the procession to the uh cemetery and so now we are parked in the cemetery in this line of cars and there's our car with the skeleton in the back and i never even thought of it and we all had gotten out and we went into the graveside and and uh and put bill to rest and we were coming back to our cars and my wife looks at the car with the skeleton in the back and she goes oh no i can't believe that's still there how <laughs> you know how you know how in poor taste that that could be with a skeleton in the graveyard and so our, our friend turns around and she goes, you know what? Bill would have laughed his butt off at that. I'm like, you know what? He would have. And so that then, it made it okay. And so that's what we need to do in life, right? No matter what we're facing, look for that humor. Look for something to laugh about. It'll help us to get through it. It'll help us to heal. It'll help us to grow. Right. And do share about this. Share your fire. And then I'll ask some questions about adversity and how to cope with that. So share your fire. The whole concept behind that is to, uh, you know, to help people to learn to, to 
share their passion with other people, but also to enable other people to shine. The There's an old saying, and I don't know the source of it, but basically it said, you don't have to blow out my candle to make yours burn brighter. And when we right. understand that things are not a competition, we're not always in competition with each other. We're, it's It's not... It's not, uh, there can be, there's not a winner in life because when there's a competition and there's a winner, there's only one winner, but it's about success in life. And in success, we, we can all succeed. We can take others with us. And the true reward is when you carry other people to success together. You know, I was inspired being the little kid that I was, I was inspired by you're going to laugh monster movies of all things you know and i grew up watching you know godzilla and frankenstein and and all of these movies and all those movies the theme was the same no matter how big and how bad the monster is that you're facing the little guy could still win and the little guy wins through innovation and teamwork and by carrying a torch bringing light to the darkness when you turn on the lights you're no longer afraid and so that's what all of this is about and so what my focus is is to try to help people to find that light in their darkness to find that whatever spark gets their inner motivational turning and then how to share that passion with others right uh John, uh, let me ask you this. You know, we, uh, we are talking about how do you use confidence building and getting through uh, adversity through humor. Now, today's life is uh, a bit different. You may call it tough. Some people may have a different opinion about that. But people are mentally exhausted, physically exhausted, especially in the backdrop of COVID and job losses and personal relationships and everything. All these things can, you know, put a big dent on your confidence, bring a lot of adversities around. How does uh, humor come into that aid? Not everybody is you, uh, John. You have passed through a lot of difficult times, but uh, you have put them very nicely, very, you know, uh, modestly and, and trying to be a torchbearer and you, the torchbearer that you are. But for common people, common people like me, you know, when you can lose confidence because of whatever happens in your life, because of adversities in your life. How do they, uh, you know, start from scratch and use uh, humor to gain it back? Well, you know, humor is is one of those things that uh, you have to, first of all, not be afraid of. And that's where, where I think people really kind of um, trap themselves. I like, I like to use self-deprecating humor because if I laugh at myself, then nobody can hurt me by laughing at me. So, okay, we had, we made a mistake. We tripped, we stumbled, we goofed up, you know, let's, let's laugh about it and move on. Because if I laugh about it first, I've taken the power away from you to harm me. And that's really what it comes down to. Um, the, you know, the whole the whole thing here is that we have to understand that we are not alone in whatever it is that we're facing. We may feel like we are. And this is the challenge for most people when they're going through uh, hard times or adverse times. Um, 
they may feel like they're the only one who's who's experiencing this, especially if the people who are around them might not understand where they're what they're feeling or what they're going through. But in all actuality, you're not alone. There are other people who are going through very similar things. And what's happening to you is very, very yours and very personal. But at the same time, know that there's there's sympathy out there in the world. There's empathy in the world and that there are others who have gone through this and have survived. And so no matter what you want, what you're facing, you can find some element of it that will help you to, to, to get out of it as far as um, how you deal with it. There's always something you can find humor in. There's always something that you can do to, to laugh it off. Uh, it is, it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to describe at the moment. And I, I, I'm trying I, I understand. To, I yeah. understand. So, so with the, with, with the, the key uh, thing that, that I'm trying to say, there's a, an ancient proverb that says, if you live long enough, everything will happen to you. Now, right. if you think about that, that's kind of a sucky reason to, to stick around. Uh, like, oh, man, I don't want everything to happen to me. But it's true. The longer you live, the more chances are that you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to be sick. You're going to be well. You're going to have money. You're not going to have money. You're going to be hungry. You're going to be, you know, you're going to be full. Different times of your life, different things. You're going to experience different things. In some story, you will be the hero. Right. And another and more, time, you may and, be the and victim. Long, right. And, and the longer time, you live, and the longer you live, uh, you will be despised more. Oh, maybe it could be. You may very well be the villain in a story. <laughs> Sorry yes. to interrupt you, Karen. Yeah, no, 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 but that's exactly it, right? It's in, in some point in your life, you're going to be a hero. At some point, you're going to be a victim. At another point, you're going to be the villain. And the yes. longer you live, if you live long enough, you will experience all of these things. And everyone is going through that. And you never know where someone else is in that cycle. And with that awareness... With that illumination and understanding that, hey, somebody else has either gone through this, will be going through this, may be going through this at the same time. We can start treating each other with a little bit more empathy and compassion. And with that, we can we can learn to get along. Right, right. So and, and the main the, and the other right. thing is don't take yourself so darn seriously. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Nobody <laughs> you Nobody takes you that seriously the more the, as much as you do and that is not uh, not the right thing to do actually you know so you know uh, I, carry on, when, carry on. I've been married now for 37 years and uh and I have a very tolerant wife you know she she <laughs> she, she puts up with me we were uh, I was in the navy when we met and and out of the three and a half years that we dated we only spent about 9 months in each other's physical presence in pieces, you know, a week here, a couple of days there. Um, and I was always overseas. Well, back then we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have email. We didn't have ways to stay in touch with each other except through snail mail, which was sometimes months in between before we would get letters from each other. And I was a terrible letter writer because being a journalist, I wrote all day. So the last thing I wanted to do in my spare time was write. So her communication from me was when we would pull into a foreign port, I would go to the find the international telephone exchange, sign up on a waiting list for an overseas line, uh, which was usually three or four hours wait before you had an overseas open line. And then it would, it would call her 
and it was $17 a minute collect. So my wife uh, ultimately agreed to marry me just because she had so much invested at that <laughs> point, right? That she said, right. but, but anyway, uh, the point I wanted, I wanted to make is that, you know, uh, I'm married. I've got this, this wonderful relationship, very supportive wife. And I, and I joke and I say, you know, she, she only married me because of, of her investment. But now I was on a, a trip. Uh, I was flying from Washington, DC to Los Angeles and flying by myself. It was a business trip. And I get into my, uh, into the uh, window seat. And, you know, when you're flying by yourself, you're traveling, but you always look to see, you look up the aisle to see who's going to wind up sitting next to you, right? You're like, oh, please, you know, not the baby. I don't want to get puked on today. And, <laughs> you know, not the big football player guy who's going to crush me and all this kind of, you know, you're sitting and go, oh, well, who's going to sit here? Well, here comes this stunningly beautiful woman. And she's also traveling by herself. Now, I'll, I'll reiterate, I am married. I am very married. I'm not looking for anything to happen. And realistically, look at me, nothing's going to happen. So here this beautiful woman comes and she sits into the, in the aisle seat and no one get in the middle. And this was an automatic conversation starter. Like, Hey, we got lucky. We got elbow room. Isn't that great? And I'm looking at this stunning woman and she was actually of Indian heritage. And um, she grew up, uh, spent a lot of time in Bali. And then spent a lot of time in Australia. So she had the most musical accent on top of, of her physical beauty. And we were chatting uh, over the course of the entire flight. And she was telling me she's 30 years old and, and her father was uh, pushing her to get married. He kept setting her up on blind dates. And I'm looking at this stunning woman and I'm like, is it because of your heritage or your culture, or your family tradition that your father has got to set you up on dates? And she says, Oh no, no, we're, I'm allowed to find my own dates. I said, well, I, I mean, you are stunning. I would imagine you've got to fight people off. And she says, Oh no, you don't, you don't understand. I, I, I'm really very shy. I won't talk to men. <laughs> said, uh, you've been talking to me for about four hours now. And she says to me, yes, but if you were some young, good looking guy I was interested in, I would never be able to talk to you. <laughs> now, any other male on the planet would have been devastated by something like that. You know, completely shut me down. You are not a good looking guy I'm interested in. I just laughed. I thought that was the funniest thing. And what, what became even funnier was watching her realize what had come out of her mouth. And she didn't mean it that way, but it was wonderful watching her, how mortified she became. And I'm like, no, it's, it's great. I, I get a kick out of that. And I said, like I said, in reality, I knew you know, nothing was ever going to happen. Certainly not. And wasn't looking for it. So when we landed, the first thing I did was pick up the phone and call my wife and say, Hey honey, I got to tell you this story. And I told her what happened and she laughed and she said, it's nice to know my hubby is so safe. <laughs> and that one hurt. Cause I'm like, Oh, I don't want to be that safe. At least be a little worried about me. <laughs> but again, you know, we, you find the humor. You, this was not a devastating life changing kind of an event. But it was one that that could have had an impact. But I chose instead to find, you know, the humor in it. There, there's humor in everything. And so just finding that humor and being able to laugh about it 
no matter what it is that helps us to get through. And like I said, I could have been insulted. Instead, I chose that as, you know, a, a moment of a, a, a love, a story that I love to tell because I think it's really funny. Yeah, maybe she was hiding her true emotions. Actually, they never tell a guy that he or he is so handsome. Many a times it happens like that. I don't think anybody's ever told me that, KJ, so I'm not worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, uh, my last question. I know you have to go. You've got some work. So my last question to you is to, you know, what should people know? What's the most important thing people need to know in order to have a better relationship? You know, because relationships are always, and because of so much of pressure of social media, of, you know, financial strain, other star stuff happening in their life, people are always under some sort of pressure or strain. What's the most important people thing that you tell people is for today's life? You know, whether it's work or it's personal relationships. You know, all relationships are based on actually the foundation that I mentioned earlier, right? Being able to trust each other, being able to give each other the opportunity to grow, uh, respecting each other, communicating with each other, and treating each other with, with humanity. And that's, that's that torch that we mentioned earlier. But it really comes down to probably the most important and most significant of all of those elements for relationships is communication. And you what? Communication and, and humor, humor, and, humor, and humor, and humor. Absolutely, but really, I mean, you know, on a serious note, if the whole foundation of relationship is really based on how you, how well you communicate with each other, absolutely. openly, honestly, and laugh together. Yes, find those things. You know, so many times people look at another individual and they immediately see what is different about that individual. Absolutely. We make decisions in a very, very short period of time. When we're walking down the street and someone is walking down the street toward us, in just a few seconds, we're going to make a decision. We're either going to step to the side and let that person pass. We're going to stay our course and make that person go around us. Or we're going to cross the street and stay away from that person altogether. And we've made that decision based on just a few seconds. Well, let's stop looking at those things that make us different. Let's look at the commonalities. One of the things that we need not consider to do is to stop and say hello to that person. Smile at that person. I bet if we just took a few extra seconds, we can find some element of commonality between us. What, no matter what it is, no matter what our, our skin color, our religion, uh, our gender, age, None of it matters. None of it matters. They're not differences. What we do is we need to just simply look at each other and find the things we have in common. I bet, hey, we both might like the same sports team. We both might like whatever. There's something that we have in common with every individual on this planet. We just have to be open to finding it. Right. Right. Well said, John. A lot of good things you've talked about. And I guess... Uh, I understand that you have to go, but thank you I so much for your time. It. Yeah. For, thank you so much for your time and, you know, sharing about all the stuff that we talked. So on this note, it's a wrap on this edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much once again. Thank you, KJ. And remember that we're not alone in our journey on this planet. Absolutely. So find someone yeah. to laugh with. Yes. <laughs>